This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. We're joined by a man who I think is about to put us in our place. Well, we have had him on the show before, so we're entitled to call him an old friend of the show for that basis. He is a fantastic and a very special guest who spent 24 years working in the FBI crisis negotiation unit. He was the FBI's chief international hostage and kidnapping negotiator from 2003 to 2007. He also co-authored the book Never Split the Difference, negotiating as if your life depended on it, something that I've never never been much good at, so I'm very keen to pick this man's brains, but it's an absolute pleasure to say a very good afternoon to the one and only Chris Voss. Chris, welcome to our humble abode. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I mean, I thought you guys were getting ready to introduce Liam Neeson or somebody, you know. <laughs> but you are. You walk in that kind of ilk, so you do, sir, because, listen, your, your, your kind of credentials speak for themselves, Chris. You've done it all. You are an author. You're a lecturer as well. So many questions. Let's start with why Dubai? Why you over here in this part of the world? Well, Global Citizen Forum is uh, this phenomenal nonprofit making the world a better place. And I've started collaborating with them. I attended their conference last year in Ras Al Khaimah in November. It's coming up November 16th, 17th, Ras Al Khaimah. Uh, it's about people who are actually making the world a better place. The concept of a global citizen, um, the things that, the ideals that you want to stand up for responsibility, sustainability, but not just lip service, actually doing it. And the people that come to it, again, the conference in November, are really, really cool people to be around. Just actually making a difference in the world and the kind of people you want to hang out with at a cocktail party, let alone making the world a better place. What, What will be your specific role, Chris, at the conference? Well, my role is to help people understand one another and just let the magic of being understood unlock um, impasse, uh, unlock discussion. And they've got leaders from all over the world coming in and they're talking about their development problems, the opposition politician problems, different points of view on climate change mm. and getting people into an actual dialogue, which doesn't sound like it would make that much difference. But it ends up being massive. Has talking to one another on both sides of a political aisle become harder, do you think, in these last few years? It seems like um, social media has played a role in in, in the sort of polarization of opinion whereby people tend to surround themselves by people who agree with them. You know, they tend to, they get get funneled the information from people that agree to them. But the reality is, um, I think the extremes are polarized, like the 10% fringes on either end. Yeah. Whereas the vast majority of the people really want to understand one another. But if you listen to social media or the media in general, it's in their interest, it's profitable if we stay stirred up against one another. And if we only listen to our own media. But then if you can get in person and actually start to hear each other out then everyone realizes we're not that far apart. No, we're not. We could collaborate a lot. Like One of the hostage negotiators I recently brought onto my team from the FBI was talking about uh, negotiating with right-wing extremists at a siege in the United States. And he said, when we sat down and listened to them, then suddenly they saw us as human beings, and everything changed. And what you really want is for the other side to see you as a human being. Mm. And instead of making your point, if you take the time to actually hear them out, 
then you seem more human. And it's really counterintuitive, and, and it works. It's just phenomenal. Well, listen, you are here in Dubai. You will be down in Ras al-Khaimah in November. And there's reason why you're here, Chris, because of what you've achieved in your career. And I want to delve into that, if I can, because I believe at the age of 16, you dreamt of being a policeman. And there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, right, being a policeman is one thing. How the heck do you go on to become the chief international negotiator for the FBI? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, one one left field turn after another. You know, I've always I've always liked challenges. I like I like interesting and new things. I like going in, into new areas. So when I first got into law enforcement, I was on a SWAT team. I was on FBI SWAT, and uh, I had a knee injury. It hurt, I'd hurt my knee. Um, I'm I'm a big believer that the bad things lead to better things. Uh-huh. You know, I'm there's an author um, uh, Talib Nick, Nicholas Nassim Talib. Uh, says post-traumatic stress growth instead of disorder Mm. like the really bad things that cause people to raise the level of their life to yet a higher level that they never would have done without the stress without the trauma so i ripped up my knee two times had it had it put back together and uh then thought well we got hostage negotiators i'd seen them because the SWAT guys were out laying in the mud in the rain while the negotiators in in a warm place talking on the phone and I thought, ah, I could do that. How hard could that be? <laughs> can't be that hard. I'll take the warm place. Yeah. I'll go in the war- and then I, I finally got onto the team and I got trained for it. And the magic of using words to get people to change their actions. And when you really, when you really make it happen, I mean, it just, it's, it's addicting. And you talk somebody out without threatening them or without needing the threat, just by connecting. You know, I'm, I'm, I was, I like to say, you know, I was a cold calling salesman <laughs> and I sold jail sentences <laughs> and I had buyers, but just connecting with people, how can it transform people by connecting them when, you know, if it's a bank robber, if it's an Al Qaeda terrorist, hearing them out and seeing it actually physically change the circumstances. And once I got into it, I, I never looked back. Hostage negotiation was more rewarding than SWAT ever was. And uh, when you underwent the training, what was the kind of was that? What was the revelation? The chief kind of eureka moment where you realised that perhaps you had been your your whole m- thought process over how best to negotiate had maybe been misguided or or uh, or counterintuitive maybe to well, what, for what you should actually do. I had volunteered on a suicide hotline before I got trained as a hostage negotiator. And suicide hotlines are master classes in emotional intelligence and establishing a relationship with somebody very quickly and getting them to change their behavior in 20 minutes or less. I mean, it sounds like an infomercial, right? But I thought, well, this stuff is so powerful that it has to work on everybody. And so when actually the, the eureka moment for me in hostage negotiation, what they really wanted to do was wake me up to reality. What's the wake-up call? They spend the whole first day at the FBI school te- teaching you hostage never been killed on deadline in the U.S. And then day two, they give you a presentation of a case that looks very much like a hostage got killed on deadline. And I talk about it in the book, never split the difference since the last chapter. And I'm sitting there thinking like, Wait, wait, wait. You, you guys spent the whole day yesterday telling us this never happened, and then you hit us right square between the eyes with it the very next morning. And he said, they, the people weren't hostages. They were victims to be. You've got to recognize when the deal would never be made. And when the deal will never be made, it has very specific earmarks, profiles, behaviors 
that if you're willing to see it as it is, are going to present themselves very early. And that was the real wake-up call. And I can remember I, I was sitting next uh, to a police officer from Utah named Jesse, and I had no idea. I found out the following week Jesse had been involved in a siege in a hospital with nurses and infants' lives at stake and people that had died. And I'm sitting next to Jesse. I got no idea he'd gone through this. And I looked at him, and I go, like, holy cow. You know, I guess, I guess that's what we signed up for, isn't it? And he looked at me and he said, no, I think we just never knew any better. <laughs> that was the line. Wow. Do the same rules always apply mm. when it comes to communication, negotiation with, with, a, with a hostile, for example? Or, or do you have to have the ability to, to be spontaneous and to be uh, an individual who can sort of think on one's feet? In certain well, situations. Well, a little bit of both, but I, I have a question because I heard something about one of you guys recently was taken hostage. Is that correct? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that's Robbie. He's a, he's a married man now. So he's, he's been taken hostage. I was willingly <laughs> taken hostage Are a couple willing? of weeks ago. <laughs> I went very much with my was, eyes open, Chris. Oh, uh, okay, all right. Just want to make sure. It was voluntary, as long as it is. Love it. Uh, no, but and to your question, and kind of like three parts. Um, is that, uh, are the rules different? Uh, are you scripted? Are you spontaneous? All right, th so the crazy, crazy, ridiculous, difficult uh, idea to wrap your mind around is that human beings pretty much make up their mind around three or four things, no matter what the circumstances. Like the, the, the external, the stakes change, but the decision-making of human beings is pretty much the same. And human beings are pretty much the same globally, regardless of gender, ethnicity, religion, geography, any of the surface differences that you might pick, because we're all wired the same with emotional circuitry called the limbic system. Everybody has it. Everybody, it operates the same way for everybody. It's very much like your respiratory system. If I have a heart attack in China, are the paramedics going to be able to treat me? Yeah, because I've got a respiratory system that works a certain way because I'm human. The limbic system is, the emotional system is very much the same. Um, another analogy, if I were to ask you to hold your breath, uh, could you do it? And you'd say, yeah. And I'd say, all right, so hold your breath for an hour. <laughs> if I asked you to control your emotions, tamp down your negativity, could you do it? Yeah, for a couple of minutes, and then the, the autopilot would kick back in. So human beings are wired pretty much the same regardless. Then what do we think about? Primarily, people make up their mind over what they have to lose. What's their identity involved, and what do they have to lose? Now, in hostage negotiation, I was taught, look for the loss. The most recent loss is going to be the triggering event for them what's changed that's caused them in their mind to engage in different behavior. So we thought it was just hostage negotiation. Then in 2002, Danny Kahneman wins the Nobel Prize in behavioral economics, prospect theory, which effectively says a human being processes loss at 2x, twice as hard as they consider an equal gain. It's not that loss is the only motiva motivating factor, in human decision-making, it's just the biggest. Mm. So when you disagree with somebody, 
The reality is they're seeing a different loss than you are. So in a gentle way, the point of hearing them out is to find out what they're afraid of losing. And most of the time, people see only the short-term loss. So if you can get them to refocus on a long-term picture versus a short-term, that's how you change people's minds. And if you're engaged in a behavior that's bad for you personally, hostage-taking, or bad for your business, my question to you to get you to see a different path would be, what happens if you do nothing? Mm. Now you start thinking on the long term. What happens if we remain as is? People then calculate what they're going to lose over the long term and start to see things differently. I remember when I spoke to you originally, Chris, so as I say, we're going back about three years ago. Uh, one of the things that I took away from that conversation, in actual fact, the biggest thing in a lot of ways I took away from that conversation was you said that you never lie. Oh, negotiation yeah. tactics. Right, it kind of blew my mind a little bit yeah. because there you are trying to get that individual or individuals to cede to what you want, which is the return of the property, the individuals, whatever the case right. may be. I thought, perhaps foolishly, naively, ignorantly, of course you lie. You say anything mm. to get to the end point. A lot of people in business take that approach too, yeah. But it's wrong. It's very bad. Um, it's great short-term, bad long-term. Uh, lying, uh, the other side's going to find out. First of all, let's say you're a great liar. I'm not a great liar because I don't practice. Um, but let's say you can lie and get away with it. They're going to find out eventually. And they're going to pay you back. And getting this loss gain thing, they're going to pay you back twice as hard as however you cheated them. So you've got an exponential factor that's always going to work against you. So first problem, let's say you can lie and get away with it. They're going to find out. And they're gonna, they're gonna, they will wait years to hurt you twice as bad as you hurt them. Now, let's say you're not a good liar. I, I, you know, they're gonna see it in the moment. A lot of times, people will test you to see if you'll lie to them. And they're, if they're a better liar than me, they're gonna spot it right away. So then, I just failed the test. You know, they, 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 they gave me the opportunity to lie to find out if they could trust me. That's the real test. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pass that test because I'm not going to be tempted to lie. And it's never going to and I'm never going to have to keep track of it. I'm never going to have to worry about making up for it. I mean, lying is a very bad long term strategy, no matter what you do for a living. How do you engage with someone who is so deeply kind of entrenched in an ideology uh, who's been subject to brainwashing? Um, that that is simply their grasp of reality has diminished to such an extent that it, it must be very difficult to set the boundaries of of uh, of productive conversation with someone like that. Right, it is, and um, like I was talking about earlier, you can't make a deal with everybody. Like hostage negotiators have a ninety three percent success rate, which means seven percent of the time it's going bad. So what does that look like? So you can spot it early on. There are certain behaviors that will always be there. And one of the reasons why my company is that effective now is like, not only are you not gonna make every business deal, but you shouldn't. I mean, we have a phrase, it's not a sin to not get the deal, it's a sin to take a long time to not get the deal. Hmm. Or it's also a sin to take a long time to get a bad deal. So if there are indicators of risk that show themselves in behavior, statements, 
early on, then test those out, learn what they are. We've got a few of them. Like if, if you and I were engaged in business, and I, was, I suspect that you were trying to play me off of someone else. You want me for a competing bid. You want me for free consulting. Um, you want me to just, as we say in the United States, to kick the tires. Well, I know what's going to trigger legitimate emotional reactions from you. And I'm going to say, you know, there are a lot of people out there that could teach you negotiation. Why me? And you're going to respond one of two ways. You say, well, you know, you're an FBI hostage negotiator. You, read the, you wrote literally the best-selling business negotiation book on earth. You've got the number one master class. There are all these reasons why I should listen to you for negotiation. Now you're a legitimate customer because vision drives decision. Before you talk to me, you saw all those things. I'm getting the vision out of your head that justifies your decision-making. The word why triggers defensiveness i'm getting you to defend that position since you're defending me you'll be honest now the other the other response well that's up to you to tell me now you're taking me for a ride now i'm competing i'm a competing bid uh you're trying to learn how i do what I do, and we get that all the time. People say, you know, uh, we'd love to hire you, but we need to know what you're going to teach us and how you're going to teach it to us. You're trying to reproduce my intellectual property with that and say, yeah, but you got to show us what we're going to do. And I go, well, why me? Well, that's up to you. And I'm saying, after you've made a financial commitment, I'm more than happy to lay out the <laughs> Of course it is. Proof of life. We got the oh, proof of life. Course. You actually need that. Hey, let me ask you this question. We, we talk a lot, Robbie and I, kind of sports broadcasting is where we kind of cut our teeth. We talk a lot in sport about nature versus nurture. Right. A good negotiator, are we born with those skills? Are they innate? I think everybody's born with them. You know, we're very blank slate when we're born. And this is actually a topic of a lot of debate. Is it nature or is it nurture? There are some things like I, I was either going to be 6, 7, 375 pounds based on what nature gave me or not. I was either going to be able to run, you know, the 100 meters faster than anybody else on earth or not. Now, the rest, of the rest of it is just pretty much blank slate. We all have the capacity. The real issue is there's something called neuroplasticity, which is our ability to learn, So, which lasts fairly strongly until about your mid-20s. Now, in, in your mid-20s, it doesn't go away. It just goes dormant. So how much did you learn up to that point? How much did you delight in learning? This is bad news for me, Chris. <laughs> Terrible news for you. But you can open it back up. Yeah. There's a difference between whether it went away or whether or not it went to sleep. And you can reawaken it, which is the lessons of neuroscience these days. But you can do silly things like you want to open up your ability to learn. This is going to sound nuts. Brush your teeth with your opposite hand. <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm off home tonight to brush with yeah. my left hand. Now I guarantee you, everyone listening to this will be doing <laughs> yeah. just that. There'll be a lot of left-handed toothbrushes. <laughs> and my, you know, the first time I did it, I had to move my head back and forth, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't move. But it actually it reawakens neuroplasticity in your brain. And then that has a cascading effect. And if you can do little things... If you challenge yourself to keep your balance, a lot of people that have, have undergone 
um, some sort of physical damage to the brain, maybe a car accident, something like that. Well, they start to, they, the exercises they have them do is different exercises so that you have to keep your balance. That's another way balance exercises reawaken the neuroplasticity say, in your brain. Say, say nothing more, Chris. It's cleaning the teeth with your left hand. That's what Robbie's <laughs> going to be doing. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. And stand on one foot. Stand yeah. on one foot. I can do that now. How about, I was really curious to know about a, a kind of case that kind of sticks in your mind now. Um, maybe one that brought a lot of satisfaction or one that was particularly memorable that you worked on that, that uh, was a bit unusual perhaps. And I, I wondered if you could uh, enlighten us on that. Well, I had just changed our proof of life strategy um, because we had a kidnapping go bad, and then, then I heard a drug dealer in Pittsburgh and another kidnapping do this great proof-of-life question. You know, his girlfriend had been kidnapped by another drug dealer, and instead of asking, you know, the proof-of-life question, which is basically your security question, you know, a question only you can answer, this guy, a uh, drug dealer in Pittsburgh, just said to the other guy, hey, dog, how do I even know she's okay? Just a how question. It changed everything. And it made all the difference in that kidnapping. So I go, wow, we got to do that. So I changed our protocol. We get a kidnapping in the Philippines. And um, I'm already with this new proof of life strategy. I'm ready to rock and roll. I can't wait to have a kidnapper try it out on. And the guy gives us proof of life right away. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, this guy's ruining. You know, I got a new toy here I'm trying to play with. And he's not letting me play with my toy. But the other thing about this guy, and we didn't know it, the guy was a serial killer, serial kidnapper. We had no idea at the time the guy on the other side is, is that dangerous. Plus, he was the only lone kidnapper we ever came across. Kidnapping is a business. It requires a team. The business is trading a commodity, which is horrific as it sounds. That's part of becoming a hostage negotiator, is accepting what it is to the other side. The other side's in business, they're trading a commodity. A commodity is human beings. It's horrible for me. It's business for them. So there's rarely sole proprietor on the other side. You know, you got to have a whole team. But I already did know a great business negotiator, the boss, will always act like they're not in charge. That way they can't get cornered. In business, you got a CEO that says, I got a board. Oh, my God, I can't sign this deal. The board of directors will fire me. That's a sign of a really shrewd, powerful guy not revealing his power. I had found that out in the Chase Manhattan bank robbery. Very mani manipulative guy behind the scenes kept saying, I'm scared of these other guys. These guys are more dangerous than me. So I already know this is a profile of the guy who's in charge. We start this thing in the Philippines, and this guy is talking about all the other people that are working with them. You know, I got a team and we're, you know, I got people watching the hostage. I got people providing security. And he's going on and on and on. He's avoiding singular pronouns. He just kept talking about how many people involved. And I remember thinking to myself, we're talking to the boss. You know, and having no idea how literally true that was, since he's running the operation by himself, he was a boss. But I, I sensed early on that it's the boss. So I'm coaching the brother. You know, I was an international negotiation coach. Brother's taken the coaching really well, which is how do we know he's alive, how are we supposed to pay if we don't know he's alive, but he's already proved life to us. But I'd coached the brother so much on open-ended questions. And he was a learner. He started to come up with some of his own. 
Now, our kidnapper, his brilliant strategy is he's, he's demanding a daily fee to keep the hostage alive while he researches the family for their wealth. Mom is scared to death. She's like, yeah, we'll pay the daily fee. It was like $200 a day. They're a wealthy family. They could pay it. And I said, no, 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 you can't pay. He's not researching the family. The easier it is for you to pay the $200 a day, the more money you have. He's going to keep this going, and he's going to take every last dime you have. This, he's testing you. So we go back and forth. I'm coaching my guy. we got to put up a fight over the daily fee. So on his own, the brother says, when we run out of money paying the daily fee, what's going to happen? And there's a long silence on the other end of the line. And the, and the killer says, it'll be all right. Um, this goes down. I'm, I'm running my team from the U.S. The team in the Philippines calls me and said, this is what this guy just said. We think it's important, but we're not sure. And I go, holy cow, we just won. He just admitted he's never going to kill the hostage. He didn't mean to say that, but that's what he just said. I will. If you can't pay, I won't kill him. So we're going back and forth on, on, uh, on the communication. And the kidnapper thought he was so smart he had actually ran an antenna from his cell phone to the top of a house three blocks from his house. Early in the kidnapping case, Philippine National Police triangulate the house. They decide to do a raid. It's early. I'm scared they're going to get the hostage killed. And they do the raid, but it's three blocks away. The kidnapper didn't even know there was a raid. He gets up the next morning. He's like, where's my money? And we're thinking like... They, they missed the house by so far, he doesn't even know there was a raid. Mm-hmm. So we continue the case, we're, the negotiations. We've got this guy in the ropes. i got to rotate my negotiators out there in 21-day rotations. And they say, we think the family could make the deal. We could send the bait money now. He'd come out. And I said, no. We can get a better price. <laughs> well, Chris, you said there, the key is to ask the how question. So I'm going to ask you this. How busy are you this evening? <laughs> I, well, you guys locked the door. Well, I've you just took done my that. shoes. I've you been took told, me hostage. I've been told that you're not busy at all this evening. So I'll tell you what we're going to do, because you're so good and we're getting so many questions in. We're keeping Chris. Don't go anywhere. Chris Voss, he doesn't know it. He's looking at me right now thinking, what on earth have I signed up for? He's staying with us a bit longer. Chris Voss, on Dubai 103.8. More from him in just a moment. The Off Script Podcast. Chris, before the break, you had us all in raptures. We were in the midst. You had us in the palm of your hand. You were telling us about this negotiation story in the Philippines. Right. Let's return to it. How did that end? Well, after I was satisfied that um, he promised he wasn't going to hurt the hostage, I decided, you know, our strategy is we're going we're to push the ransom down to the lowest possible price. And in that time frame, uh, the Philippine National Police came up with another location where they figured this guy was. They checked it a little more closely. They weren't fooled by the antenna. They hit the place, and he was there. Surprise. The good guys came through the front door and rescued the hostage. And that's when we found out that instead of talking to the boss who had a gang— he was a lone kidnapper, and then they identified him, and they linked him to several other kidnappings, one of which a ransom had been paid, and the victim was never seen again. So we got a really bad guy off the wow. streets. They convicted him, put him in a Philippine prison, probably put him under the prison. 
What's the feeling? Give us an idea because it's all relative, right? Robbie and I, if we do a particularly good show, you know, come eight o'clock, we're buzzing. We walk out of this place and, you know, we're absolutely buzzing to enjoy our evening. You're a negotiator, for goodness sake. You have people's lives in your hands. Is it euphoric? What's the feeling of a successful negotiation? Um, with a bad guy? Not not euphoric. Um, I mean, the first time I talked somebody out, that was a little bit euphoric. The adrenaline high was definitely there. But after a while, um, it's extremely satisfying. You know, I wouldn't say that, that you're proud of it. I always thought that it was a privilege to do. So, you know, when you're engaged in something that you feel is worthwhile. It's very purposeful. It's the atten- intent of why you're doing it in the first place. You, get a, you, you do it with great people. I always worked with great people. You, you get to make a difference. You feel like you matter. And it's just very satisfying. Mm. Was it addictive? Probably. I mean, I've always liked challenging new things. One of the things I love about what we're doing now, you know, the application successfully of... FBI hostage negotiation skills to business. Like, nobody ever did that before. You know, they could have, but they didn't. It was all academic, Harvard-related stuff, logic, you know, reason, rationality. Nobody ever said, let's take an emotional intelligence approach, applied people smarts. And that's been completely new, and it's been made a huge difference in people's lives. Plus, the people that we coach, they don't beat other people. You know, they win alongside other people. People want to make more deals with them. We get the question we get all the time, what if I face a black swan trained negotiator? Awesome. They're going to want to collaborate with you. You'll make a better deal than you ever had in mind in the first place. You know, they're just great collaboration. And so it's all been a lot of fun and I've loved it. You talk about it being a privilege. You know, you've said it, your stat, Chris, not mine. 93% of negotiations with hostages ends in success. There's right. a 7%. You do the maths on that, that's 7 out of 100 that don't make or it. Or close to once you get over double digits, that's you're going to start running into trouble. Exactly. It's going to go bad. So, so talk to me about that because dealing with that, if you talk about a euphoria at the start, that it becomes a Addictive, losing, loss of life, having that on your conscious, dealing with that, coming back the next day to a job that is unlike anything, certainly for what Robbie and I do, from what a lot of our listeners are working in, listening to this right now. How do you come back? How does Chris Voss bounce back from that mentally? Um, I'll quote the famous Irish philosopher Colin McGregor. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I did not expect that, Chris. <laughs> okay. You, you win or you learn. You know, you win or you learn. And if it goes bad, you post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress growth. It's your choice. Mine has been to learn, to get better, to, to like, all right, so what I did wasn't good enough. We got to get better. We got to learn more. We got to talk to people outside. I mean, that's, you know, I sort of kidded about Harvard before. I mean, I attended Harvard. I collaborated with them. I taught there because I wanted to learn what they had. So you win or you learn. Get better and, and, and take your lessons and apply them so that they do more good than the original cost. I want to get to this question because this made me chuckle. Hey, can I ask it? It's a personal question. Chris, are you married? 
I have a very significant girlfriend okay. and I'm in a committed relationship. Okay, the question here then is, how do you negotiate successfully <laughs> with the other half? In the case of your significant other, a wife, how do you set about negotiating successfully with them? You know, people just, people just want to be heard, first of all. And secondly, if you're willing to hear somebody out, um, they could be right too. Like, you can get so oh, set in your right. ways. They're always right, Chris. Oh, yeah, no, but, you know, uh, we, uh, we had a negotiation between a husband and a wife over a Christmas tree. Husband wanted uh, an artificial tree for practical reasons. The wife wasn't hearing it. And he was the guy that was in my class. And so he wanted to use a skill, something we call a label, uh, and label a dynamic. And he said, it seems like you probably had real trees growing up. And she said, yes. And the smell of a real tree and the memories I have with my brothers and sisters. And I want our kids to have those same memories. They got a real tree. <laughs> he heard her out. He found out that her motivation was for a larger purpose, not just practical, but, you know, on a much higher plane. We want our children to have great memories that they remember for the rest of their lives. He's thinking practical sense. But since he was trying to hear her out, she came up with a better idea. Never be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't take something better. Mm. Your spouse might have something better. You hear them out, they're more likely to agree. Or you hear them out, they got a better idea. And you listen to what they have to say. Then he spent the next two months picking pine needles out of the, the sofa. <laughs> last, one, last one from me, Chris, because listen, you're a busy boy and you've got better things to be doing than entertaining us. It's been wonderful having you in. Oh, it's been brilliant. This is a question that Robbie wanted to ask you, but he's too embarrassed to ask you, so I'll do it for him. <laughs> oh, thank you. Pay rises. How does one set about getting a pay rise successfully? It's a question we've had I'm just going to send Chris in for me, I think. <laughs> on okay. 4001. What's the tactic? Whisper it quietly, Chris, because there will be some CEOs listening to this. You know what? Yeah, but I mean, salary pays your bills, but it doesn't build your career. If your conversation with your boss shifts off your salary into how you can be successful in the company, you're going to build your career. And they see you as being less selfish and more team-oriented. And the minute you're more team-oriented, you become more valuable and make yourself more valuable their goals and objectives, their strategic projects, the really things that are really important to them, the high-risk projects. You know, I, I once heard somebody say, run to trouble. Mm. You know, you got to have an appetite for the big game. And if you do, your boss is either going to pay you based on a value that you brought to the table or you will have learned so much that somebody else will. So on that basis, Robbie Greenfield hosting the business breakfast <laughs> from next Monday <laughs> is what it is. Uh, listen, Chris, you've been a superstar, and I've got to just point out, you are back in the region. It is the Global Citizen Forum and the annual summit on November 16th through to the 17th. Down in Russell came for more information and tickets. You need to head to globalcitizenforum.org. Chris Voss. What a pleasure. What an Thank absolute you. pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Privilege to have you in with us. Best of luck. Las Vegas is home. Enjoy yourself. Make sure you get a safe flight back and we'll see you back here in November. Thank you very much. The voice of Chris Voss. What a legend he is. He's going to be back here in November. All eyes on Russell came on November 16th through to the 17th. We'll try and get an invite to that as well. 
the Offscript podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 